Hello and welcome to episode 58 of the Bat Flip Crazy podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Uh, today is a special podcast. Uh, earlier today, I was uh, lucky enough to be invited to participate in the Bay Area Rotisserie or Roto Fantasy League, the Barf League. Um, it's a league that's convened by Justin Mason and includes uh, 14 folks um, from the fantasy baseball slash fantasy sports industry who live in the greater uh, Bay Area in California. Uh, as folks who listen to the podcast know, I moved down to uh, California uh, about uh, four days ago or so, three, four days ago. I can't even, can't even remember now. It's been a whirlwind, but um, my wife is a saint and was uh, very nice and uh, you know let me get away for a little bit um, to participate in the draft. Justin Mason was super nice in inviting me to participate when he learned that I was moving to California. So I got a chance to drive down to uh, San Francisco and hang out at the rec room, which is, uh, which is a great uh, bar with a ton of... Uh, you know, games and activities that go on. Uh, the owner of the bar, uh, Todd, is uh, is awesome. We had like our own little space in the in the bar. We had a draft board with stickers where we could put it up. It was my first live draft. I've done fantasy baseball, you know, really since uh, since college, so over 15 years. And this was the first time that I have done a live in-person draft, and it was a ton of fun. Uh, there was great folks there. A lot of folks I know from Twitter who I was able to meet in person. Obviously, Justin, uh, Sammy Reed, uh, Bubba from the Bench with Bubba podcast, uh, Doug Thorburn, um, uh, Howard Bender was there, uh, Kang Do uh, uh, from Prospects 365, uh, who I'm in a dynasty league with. Um, I'm obviously uh, forgetting, you know, uh, a lot of people there, but it was just great to, you know, to meet people, people that I either have uh, exchanged and engaged with, um, you know, on Twitter or just follow on Twitter who are, who are super knowledgeable and great, uh, voices in the industry. And it was just a ton of fun. You know, the, uh, oh, Eno Saris was also a part of it, which was, which was really cool. Um, you know, I've read his stuff for, for years now, so it was awesome to have a chance to meet him. Um, yeah, it was just a lot of fun. It was, it was about six hours worth of drafting. Uh, it went by in a flash, uh, because uh, we were having a really good time, but um, it was great. 28 rounds, uh, rounds of fun, and I thought it would be fun. You know, it was interesting league because it's an OBP and quality starts league, and I do very few OBP leagues, but you know, it's 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 not a huge change from you know batting average leagues. But the quality starts really, I think, has a has a huge impact on strategy and value for for pitchers and players in general. And so I talk about that in the podcast. Um, I thought it would be fun to just kind of go through the draft while it was in my head. I, I had about a two-hour drive ahead of me, and so you know I thought it would be fun to just kind of recap it. I wrote down on a on a paper plate, you know, my 28 draft picks so that I would remember what they were and kind of go through them and what the thought process was for them and why I tra- decided to to choose them and what my strategy was and how I kind of carried that out. And so hopefully you um, we. Uh, you gain some value from from that in terms of your own leagues and thinking about you know different considerations or things that you disagree with that I say or you know whatever it is um, you know I, I thought it might be a little bit of fun and so uh, I did this um, 
yeah, it was it was awesome. I am so thankful to have been able to had an opportunity to participate in this. As folks know, because I've been moving, I have not had a chance to do uh, the regular podcast. The good news is I've had some chances late at night uh, to work on uh, on my kind of master spreadsheet, if you will. And that spreadsheet is kind of the key to all of the positional previews. And so now that that uh, spreadsheet is pretty much all good to go, um, you know, I think it'll be uh, once I get settled uh, in my actual house, I'm with my mother-in-law right now for one more night and then we move in permanently to our new house uh, tomorrow Um, then I will uh, be uh, really excited to start recording some uh, some of the additional previews so you know getting through the infield with first second third and short getting into the outfield and then uh, covering our starting pitchers so uh, really excited look for that I've also had Folks have just been so nice and thoughtful, leaving um, you know five star ratings and reviews. I've got some uh, that I've got to catch up on. I know that there's a Jack Flaherty pod uh, that I'm going to have to do. I think a Nick Pavetta pod. There may be one other uh, person. You know, at this point, uh, I'm really going to be focusing on the previews and trying to provide as much value in terms of draft prep as possible. Um, so uh, please do continue to leave the five-star ratings and reviews. I'm not going to be taking any more requests for player profiles at this point in time. I just want to make sure that I can get through um, all of the uh, all of the previews, and I think those are going to be the most helpful thing uh, for folks' fantasy drafts. You know, the 15-minute uh, player profiles are obviously helpful for single players, but in terms of being able to reach as many people as possible, I will get through all of the commitments I made in terms of the player profiles Um you know, that folks have, have gotten so far in terms of the, you know, five-star ratings and reviews that they've, that they've submitted. I will, I will make sure that I get those, um, in the coming weeks. Uh, but you know, I'm going to press pause on that. Please do continue to leave a five-star rating and review though, because it really helps, uh, the pod, uh, cast, uh, get to more people. It helps with the algorithm I'm told uh, that iTunes has. So, uh, really appreciate just how thoughtful and, and all those, ratings and reviews that have been rolling in. It really does make my day when I see those. So I hope you find the Barf League uh, recap, at least the recap of my uh, draft helpful. I did record this in my car when I was driving. So uh, a note of caution, the audio will not be great. You will hear me driving. You will hear my windshield wipers. You will hear hear rain. Uh, But, you know, I think the audio came through okay. So hopefully it's not, not too much of an issue. I'll get back to using uh, the condenser mic that I have been using the last few podcasts because I know some people had expressed some concerns about the audio quality previously. So hopefully this isn't too bad. Hopefully you can hear me. Hopefully uh, my thoughts and ideas and draft picks are somewhat, um, you know, make, make some sense as I describe them. But please do, you know, let me know if you have any questions based on the podcast, things that I talk about. If you, there are players that you have questions about, um, you know, just like straight up, um, you know, you, you want to know more about a particular player. I won't do a 15 minute profile necessarily, but ask me and I will do my best to respond to as many people as possible um, as I can. I'm also starting a new job on Monday and I probably will not have um, as much access to um, Twitter as I, as I previously did. Um, and so I will probably just have a couple uh, periods of time during the day when I'm able to respond. So I may not be as responsive as I I usually am, and I apologize for that, but hopefully I'll be able to get to everybody's um, questions because I love it. I love um, I love talking fantasy baseball, uh, and I'm very appreciative of being able to uh, to uh, yeah. 
to play fantasy baseball and do live drafts and have such a great community of folks who love fantasy baseball too. So uh, thank you so much for listening. Let's hop right into the Barf League recap. Today I am going to talk uh, and do a little bit of a recap of the Bay Area Rotisserie Fantasy uh, League or Barf League that I was able to participate in uh, today with a bunch of fantasy industry folks. Um, As I mentioned in the intro, I am going to be recording the podcast on my drive home as I leave, uh, leave the Barf Draft, which was a full... Uh, six to six and a half hours of live drafting. It was my first live draft. Uh, it was awesome to meet everybody who was there. A special thanks uh, to Justin Mason. Um, I apologize uh, in advance for any of the audio that's picked up outside. I know some folks have um, had uh, some concerns in the past about the audio uh, that shows up on the podcast. So I hope this uh, audio turns out all right and you don't hear too much of me driving or cars honking at me or whatnot. So to get into the draft, it's a 14-team league. Um, The 14 teams, so a little bit less than the 15-team that, you know, I'm I'm more used to the 15 and the um, 12-team leagues, and so it's a a little bit in the middle of it. Uh, It's an OBP and quality starts league, and I think that is the most important and interesting fact uh, for me, at least, I I, I mostly play five by five rotisserie with average. Uh, I have one league that uses OBP. That's a twenty team dynasty league, so the context is a little bit different too. But I've never played in a quality starts league. I've always played with wins um, at, instead of quality starts. And so, in thinking about the draft after I was invited, the the first thing whenever you are invited into a new league or you start a new league is making sure that you know the league settings and the rules. And any time that you're going to be doing a draft, what you should be thinking about is how do the rules impact uh, how I'm going to be drafting and player values. Because, you know, it's easy to go in with one set of valuations. I mean, because it's hard, right? It takes a lot of time to generate uh, valuations for 5 by 5 you know, roto. It's hard enough to do that. And so... Doing that, um, you know, doing that and adjusting it to different, um, you know, different categories is a little bit tough. So what you don't want to do is, is go in with the same, you know, kind of five by five average valuations of players going to those drafts. And I don't just mean like dollar valuations, but I'm just talking about how you value different players. Because I think one of the things about non-standard leagues or leagues that are different from what people generally play in is that one of the most important aspects or elements of it is understanding how those rules impact value. And chances are you, you know, you're probably not the only person that's thinking thinking about it, but, uh, you know, everybody in your league may not be thinking about how a change from OBP to average might impact the way that a player's value, uh, what, what a player's value is. And so heading into this draft, obviously I was playing with a number of folks from the fantasy industry, um, Sammy Reed, Justin Mason, uh, Howard Bender, uh, Eno Saris, Doug Thorburn, uh, just a, a bunch of guys. I'm, I'm, I won't go through everybody, but everybody is somewhat associated with the, the industry outside of uh, two or three uh, folks, I believe. 
And so going in, I was I was pretty sure that you know folks were thinking about how how this league setup might impact value. And so as I thought about the valuations, essentially what I did is I have my values for five by five average because that's going to be the most most number of uh, most of my leagues are going to have that type of system. So I went on to Fangraphs and I exported the um, I went to the auction calculator and I input the league settings. A couple things of note. 14 teams versus 15 and 12, so that's going to impact, you know, um, the, the quality of the player, right? Better quality of player than a 15-team league, uh, worse quality player than a 12-team league. It also only has five bench slots. It's a fan tracks league. It has five bench slots. That's very, very few bench slots. It does have a DL of up to five players, too. And so that was one thing that I was thinking about, too, is, you know, it's a very, a very small bench. It's daily lineup transactions, uh, weekly fab, <laughs> quality starts at OVP, and so um, and two catchers. So all of those things impact, you know, the strategy and the way that I was thinking about the draft. So the one thing I did is I ran, I, so I went to Fangraphs, you know, I input all of that into the auction calculator because, to be honest with you, I just didn't have time to create uh, unique uh, valuations for for this. Uh, system. It takes me long enough to create uh, regular ones. And so I went into the auction calculator and then I um, I ran it with Steamer, ATC, and uh, the BAT um, uh, projections uh, into the auction calculator. And I generated three spreadsheets of value and I integrated those three spreadsheets. And essentially what I did is I just added together the uh, dollar valuations and divided by three where there was three players and two where there was two um, and then that's how I determined essentially like my baseline valuation. Uh, they're not really mine. They're just a way of aggregating the projections that projection systems have created because chances are I am not going to be able to create a better projection system. And so once I've created those valuations, then I have the ability to go over them and kind of look. And one of the categories that I left to the left of the valuation was plate appearances and innings pitched. And so that gave me a sense, right, if a player is only going to generate $5 of value, um, you know, so they're pretty far down the list of players, but they, you know, only have um, uh, 250 plate appearances. Well, then I know, you know, okay, I'm going to look a little bit into this guy more. Is this 250 plate appearances right? Is there any way they might get more playing time, you know, boosting their value or just taking a look at, you know, whether the valuations kind of strike me as, as being somewhat accurate. And in doing this, what was super interesting is of the top, five players, uh, four of them were starting pitchers. Mike Trout was, uh, either Mike Trout or Chris Sale was the most valuable, followed by the other. Then it was Jacob deGrom, Max Scherzer, and Justin Verlander. And so right away, I was kind of like, hmm, and there was a pretty sizable gap. When I was going into the draft, I was thinking, okay, I have the number six pick, which, you know, to be honest with you, is just I don't want to be drafting number six. It's better than number four where I was drafting before because in an OBP league, I think there's like a, three, a top three that's pretty clear. Mike Trout by a long shot is the top one. Mookie Betts is number two. And then number three, Jose Ramirez, because, you know, he's also an OBP. Um, he's also an OBP stud. He gets you home runs. He gets you stolen bases. He's going to get you handling that, all of that stuff. I think after that, there's a pretty big drop-off, at least from the player talent pool. When I looked at the player valuations, you know, 
So a difference, I was looking at getting Trey Turner because I wanted to have a balanced squad. I wanted to start out with stolen bases. But this is a single league. It's not an overall competition. So while what, what I need to do is try to win this league. And so in that context, uh, stolen bases aren't as important, right, because I can get – I can just be, you know, mediocre in stolen bases. And if I'm good in the other categories, then I'll be fine. My goal wasn't to be mediocre necessarily, but – I don't have to lay as as deep of a stolen base and, you know, OBP foundation, for instance, because we're not using average. Um, and so that was one of the things I was thinking about. So I was thinking about Trey Turner. When I looked at the valuations, Trey Turner was valued, I believe, at $27 uh, based on, um, you know, the projections that I had pulled, whereas uh, DeGrom was at $41 and Scherzer was at $40. So a massive difference in terms of the valuation. And so in thinking about, you know, that, that valuation difference, I was like, ah, let me just think a little bit about intuitively, like what does quality starts need? And in a lot of ways, what quality starts does is it, is it lifts up um, guys with high inning pitch totals, right? Guys who are able to go in deep into games, guys who are able to pitch six or seven, um, you know, innings every single time because you need six innings to get a quality start. And that is a, a uh, that is a skill set that is diminishing in the league. If you look at wins, they're on the, on the down, uh, they're going downhill as our quality starts, right? So innings pitched are huge. And in the fantasy game right now, you know, you, you know, you have the top aces who pitch a ton of innings or at least, you know, innings per start. And then, you know, you've got your kind of second tier of aces that does the same. But after that, it's kind of a crapshoot, right? And so I needed to be looking at guys who were going to pitch six innings. And what that does, you know, is so quality starts gives more value to players who pitch innings. And, and it also is something that is, con- that is context uh, neutral. I mean, not entirely context neutral, but quality starts are something that the pitcher owns in a lot of ways, right? It's up to the pitcher about whether they throw six innings uh, with three or fewer earned runs given up. Whereas with a win, as we saw with Jacob deGrom, you know, uh, that is very context dependent. That's very team dependent. And so essentially what it does is it puts both a lot more value and a lot more control into the hands of the pitcher. And so... Another thing about pitching stats is ERA and WHIP are ratio stats. And ratio stats can be impacted tremendously by uh, a single pitcher. So, for instance, when I ran the numbers, if you had a team that was all average starters and then you added Jacob DeGrom to that team, it would get you 30% towards the best whip in the league. So essentially, like, you add him to the team and you're 30% of the way to having the average for, uh, you know, getting 15 or 14 points um, in the whip category. Similarly with ERA, with Jacob deGrom, you're 32% of the way. Whereas when you look at, like, runs per plate appearance, you look at RBI per plate appearance on the hitter side, you know, a really good player is going to get you 10% of what you need. Whereas pitchers have, an, have, have a, a much greater impact, right? Part of that is because it's 14 and 9, um, you know, and, and part of it is also because, at least with the high-caliber pitchers, they're not only pitching, 
with really good ratios. They're pitching with really good ratios and a lot of innings pitched. And so that is what makes starters so um, so valuable, at least from, from my analysis and at looking at the valuation. That's what makes top-quality starting pitchers so valuable in the format. And so that's why heading into the draft, I knew that I would be drafting two of my first three picks would be starting pitchers, depending on who fell. And that my first pick was going to be uh, either Jacob deGrom or Max Scherzer. Now, there's a $1 difference between Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer. And so I took a look at Max Scherzer and and Jacob deGrom. They're both very, very good pitchers. Um, I took a look at the rolling average graphs over the last 15 games. And what I noticed is that, um, number one, Max Scherzer's going to be 35, right? I'm not concerned about Max Scherzer. Sorry, folks, I I dropped my headpiece here as I'm driving. All right, putting the headpiece back in, just a little bit of technical difficulties. I'm not worried about about Max Scherzer being good, whether he's going to be good or not. I think Max Scherzer is going to be good. I think he's going to be fine. And at this point in the draft, right, you're talking about $1 value difference in the valuation. Uh, It's just, it's, it's minimal. And so, but DeGrom, if you look at his rolling average graph, everything is headed in the right direction. His swinging strike rate is headed up. Um, his O-swing was headed up. His Z-contact was headed down. Everything looked really, really good for DeGrom, right? The control metrics, uh, the strikeout metrics. And, again, it, it doesn't matter whether he's pitching for the Mets or the Nationals necessarily, right? There might be a different defensive difference. But, you know, he's going to control what he's going to do, and he's a 200-innings-pitched guy, and so he was going to do that. Now, Scherzer has a history of pitching more uh, innings, and striking out more guys. But towards the end of last year, he also had a little bit of a dip in uh, some of the skills. The first pitch strike rate, you know, went down uh, considerably towards the end of the year. A lot of his strikeout rates were down as well. And that's actually something that's a trend for Scherzer. He generally starts out really, really hot. And he's still really good by the end, but, you know, he kind of gets worse as the season progresses. progresses. So I thought to myself, okay, I've got a 40, I've got a $1.00 higher valuation for Jacob DeGrom. I think consensus within the industry is that Scherzer, you know, is the top pitcher and by a decent margin, you know. So I'm going to be bucking consensus a little bit. But in looking at the recent stuff, you know, factoring in age and factoring in skills, I think that DeGrom, you know, is a really solid bet here. And so I'm going to go with uh, with DeGrom. And so um, I ended up uh, drafting DeGrom first. Now, the other thing about the OBP and Quality Starts League is that it's OBP. And for me, OBP leagues are a little bit – it's not that they're um, – uh, this is going to sound wrong, but it's not that they're easier, but I think it's um, – uh, OBP is a more uh, – has less variance as a statistic. I'm saying this intuitively. I don't know if this is necessarily true. Um, but to me, like, it's much easier to see a guy and say, oh, this dude's O-swing is, you know, uh, or chase rate outside on just outside the zone – is, you know, well below league average, he's going to have a really good walk rate. He's going to be a decent OBP guy compared to somebody who has a terrible OBP like Javi Baez but manages to, you know, get a high average, you know, at least last year, right? And and also uh, what I thought about was, and this was a major question heading into the draft, was, you know, how much are folks going to be considering OBP versus average, which is what we traditionally draft with, or at least I'm more – um, you 
traditionally drafting with average. Obviously, it's it's a it's a there's a ton of sharp guys in the league. It's all fantasy sports, uh, fantasy sports slash fantasy baseball industry folks. And so, you know, my assumption heading in because it was my first time in the draft is that people were going to be considering that. But I wasn't exactly sure where to put them, you know, from an ADP perspective, right? Like I have my valuations. I know what that list tells me, and then I know putting my own lens over those valuations, what that tells me. But I don't know where other folks in the draft are going to have have these have these guys. And so that is something where um, you know that was a major question for me going in, and something that I experienced um, early on in in the draft um, uh, was um, was that um, that uh, you know that I wasn't sure where guys were going to go. And so you just had to go get your guys where you were going to miss out on them because folks were moving people way up, right? Like, so a good example would be, um, you know, like a Josh Donaldson, right? He's got his injury issues and so on and so forth, right? But he's a great OBP guy, regardless of whether he's injured or not. So when he's playing, he's one of the few guys you can get an OBP of over 400. And so, you know, in our league today, I think he went, 40 picks better, uh, higher than his current ADP, you know, in average drafts because of that, right? A uh, guy like Michael Conforto, who's stronger in an OVP league, he was jumped up about 30 spots as well. Matt Olson was jumped up about 30 spots because he's better in OVP league. So not surprisingly, folks were doing this, but heading into the draft, I just wasn't sure exactly how high folks were going to go. And so really I just needed to look at my valuation and think about, you know, from a team construction standpoint, how I wanted uh, to build the team. Um, And so let's hop into that. Let's say, so that's kind of what I was thinking about just in terms of strategy heading in. Um, I also knew, you know, generally, like, if there's an overall competition, like in an NFBC or in a TGFBI, I am going to be trying to to go for stolen bases and and batting average or OBP um, early on because I want to build a real, real solid foundation in the scarce resources because later on, I can get things like power and RBI, but I can't get those in profiles that have batting average or stolen bases, uh, generally speaking. And so in this one, you know, heading in, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be a little, uh, I'm going to be a little less uh, bullish on uh, on stolen bases. I'm going to try to focus on getting value. And one of the things that I preach um, and is pretty consistent across the board is. I really love balanced players. I like players who provide contributions in a lot of categories. There's nothing mind-blowing about that. Everybody loves, like, a five-category person, right? But, like, whether they're five categories or not, folks who who are not going to hurt you, right, they're going to be good in um, – they're either going to be good or neutral in five categories is really, really nice. And there's some examples of guys that are going late. You know, especially in OBP leagues, I think, that kind of qualify in this. And so I was really going for balanced profiles because I think, you know, look, things are going to happen throughout the, the fantasy season that you do not control. Players are going to get injured. Uh, players are not going to perform as you'd expect. Um, and so those things are going to happen. They're beyond your control. You do your best to draft as many people. The more balanced your team is across categories, the more able you are to with, with, withstand injuries and lack of performance. An example would be if you draft a rabbit, right, like a really fast guy, you know, who gets you stolen bases, may get you a lot of runs, 
but hurts you in home runs and other other places, right? If you rely on you know a couple of those guys to get you most of your stolen bases, if one of them gets injured, you have a 40 stolen base hole instead of a 10 stolen base hole that you got to fill, right? You know, and so it's easier said than done, but getting that type of balance profile in a way. It's kind of like insurance. It's kind of like, you know, when you are investing in stocks, you know, or and you have your portfolio, you want to diversify, 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 right? So that if one stock, you know, goes down, you're, you know, you're not uh, completely, you know, out of money, right? Like the more diversified you are, the more you are able to take losses of one stock or another, right? It's just, you know, it, it gets back to variance, but... This idea for me is really, really important in rotisserie, and it's it's kind of like a central tenant of my draft, drafting strategy. And so, and and you'll see this see this play out um, in this draft. And so, let's hop right to it. So, I talked about my first pick. My first pitch was Jacob Degrom. It was between Jacob Degrom and Max Scherzer. Now, again, remember this is an OBP and quality starts league, and in my analysis. Quality, the quality starts element really boosts the value of starting pitchers. If I was drafting six in a five by five average league, I probably would not be drafting Jacob Degrom. Now, that, that that may or may not be the case, right? I really like Jacob Degrom, and the more I dive in, the more I like him, right? He's a he's a really good pitcher. But there's in an average league, there's a lot of bats in the middle there, right? Like Ronald Acuna, he's a guy that I considered at the number six pick. Uh, my question was whether the OBP was going to be there, and then there's also questions about whether he's going to bat first in the lineup or clean up in the lineup, because that'll have a tremendous, have a decent impact on like you know runs versus RBIs as his counting stats, which isn't like a deal breaker, but it is helpful to know like if you're going to get 30 more runs or 30 more RBIs in a given season, you know where exactly that's going to be. I believe in him in a five by five average league as a as a guy who's pretty high up there. Christian Yelich is a guy, a five-category contributor, who I believe in um, a lot uh, with the number six pick. Trey Turner is a five-category contributor who I would consider um, uh, strongly at the number six uh, pick as well. There are other guys that I would I would consider at the number six pick um, too, but in this particular instance, I went with Jacob DeGrom. Now, immediately after Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer went. Uh, Sammy Reed was drafting right behind me. And it's funny because I, jo- I was joking around with my, uh, my wife before, uh, before the draft. I, was, I look, took a look at the draft order. And I know uh, some of the guys in the, in the, um, uh, for just from Twitter uh, who were in the league. I was meeting everybody for the first time. Uh, and so I, I knew some of the guys in the league. And I knew that Sammy had a really successful year last year, and I follow him on Twitter. I know that he's a really sharp guy, um, and so I saw that he was drafting. You know, I he was drafting. I was drafting six. He was drafting seven. And I was joking around about how I knew that I was going to get sniped, and how you know, moving forward, you know, every time I drafted, you know, with the in the sixth pick headed the other way, I knew that you know there was essentially you know two draft picks where. You know, the guy was essentially going to be uh, going after the same guys that I I, um, I wanted. You know, that's not necessarily true, and there was plenty of guys after that point. But that was just something that struck me about the draft order and noticing it. And I think that's something, if you do play with people that you play with on a regular basis or you do have a sense of who they may like, you know, because you follow them on Twitter or something like that, or you've seen their articles, you've, um, 
you know, you've read what they're putting out and you agree with it, you know, chances are you have a fairly similar um, approach to the game. And as a result of having a pretty similar approach to a game, you probably have similar player valuations. So he took Matt, he took Max Scherzer, and we were joking around because he he we were actually sitting next to each other too, and he was like, you know, I actually had Degrom. I was going to take Scherzer if I had to, you know, if you had skipped over, but I, my valuation system also had uh, Degrom as being one dollar uh, more. And so, you know, right right from kind of the get go, I knew that we were going to be taking similar approaches to the draft. Uh, after that, um, there was a. Um, you know, it, it was it was interesting the way the draft went out. I don't have the draft board in front of me. I do have the back of a paper plate where I've where I've put down my draft picks. So I'll try to remember some of the things that you know, some of the draft picks that happened, you know, and, and kind of comment on those. But I'll mostly be focusing on as I went through the draft, what I was thinking about, who I was considering at different points in time, so on and so forth, in the hopes that in listening to it, you know, you it'll be somewhat helpful to you or, or it'll for considerations that maybe you weren't thinking about before. So, um, you know, some of the picks that were really interesting is um, uh, at one uh, in the first round, the person who, who drafted Aaron Judge, Bryce Harper, who was also somebody I was considering with the sixth pick because it's an OBP league and he has tons of value in OBP league, was Bryce Harper. He actually fell to 18, which was a huge surprise uh, to me. Um, he went fell to 18, and he was drafted by the same guy who had Aaron Judge. So talk about a nice OBP start. Um, you can't get uh, much better uh, than that. Um, but, you know, so uh, it went around, and then right in front of Sammy um, was, um, I believe it was uh, Danny, uh, uh, a guy named Danny. He drafted, he dra- he drafted Garrett Cole. And that was the guy who uh, Sammy had wanted at the time. Uh, or no, he drafted, uh, he drafted uh, Justin Verlander, who was the starting pitcher that I had, um, you know, as I think the fifth most valuable player in the draft and was hoping was going to get to me. And Sammy was also hoping that Justin Verlander was going to get there. One note about quality starts is I looked at the leaderboard. I'm not sure this is exactly it, but it's something similar to this. The leaders in quality starts last year were DeGrom and Scherzer with 28. Verlander had 27. When you got got down to the eighth most quality start, I think it was down to 21. Now that may not seem like a ton, but uh, that's 70. That's a 25% drop, right? That's the same as the difference between a 400 and OBP and a 300 OBP. Not really because they're not the same, but you know that is a, a significant drop, and that just shows you how how consolidated the value and that just that change to quality starts how much that consolidated value with the starters. So not surprisingly, Sammy um, drafted Garrett Cole with his second pick, uh, which is a really solid pick. And it was up to me. Now, in this particular situation, there were some hitters that I was hoping were going to fall to me, but I didn't think they were. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt is one. Uh, Freddie Freeman was kind of the dream. Uh, Freeman is going around an ADP of 22 in most drafts, but in OBP, you know, with his high batting average and – high walk rate. He's a 400-plus OBP guy, which is great, especially with the speed that he's shown the last couple years. So I was hoping maybe a Freddie Freeman would fall for me, but once he was off the board, I knew I was going to take another starting pitcher. And uh, and so I, you know, a lot of folks would consider it a pretty big reach, but I drafted Trevor Bauer um, with the 23rd pick in the draft. Now, I absolutely love Trevor Bauer heading into this year. If you want to 
you're, if you listen to the podcast, uh, I did a player profile on Trevor Bauer. I pretty much see him right behind Justin Verlander. Um, I may have gone with Garrett Cole uh, over um, over Bauer, but I probably would have gone with Bauer because really what kept Bauer from potentially winning the Cy Young last year was a line drive up the middle off his off his off his leg that, that broke his leg, um, and you know before that. He had a higher innings pitch per start than Corey Kluber. Um, he was striking guys out. He was minimizing contact tremendously. He has a deep arsenal of five pitches. He's joked around before that he's gonna, he's gonna, he wants to be part of a four-man rotation. He wants to pitch every four days because you know if you follow Driveline or you know that podcast or Bauer on, um, you know on Twitter, you know he is passionate about pitching and being the best pitcher that he possibly can be and his body type and the way that he throws he feels like he can he can throw more often and so that gives me a lot of hope in this type of format in particular where volume and innings pitched and going six innings is critical um, that is really important he also is pitching in the AL Central and so uh, the pitching matchups are going to be you know fairly um you know, they're not necessarily going to be easy. It's never easy in baseball, but he, he should have an easier uh, schedule if it works out that way, um, pitching in the AL Central. So for me, that was another factor that I um, considered uh, there, in addition to the fact that he was improving, you know, as the year progressed. So he was actually uh, had the higher swinging strike rate over his last 10 games than he did over the season. Uh, same thing with his O swing. Uh, same thing with his Z contact. And so just really, really, um, you know, I'm a huge fan of Bauer. And so, you know, when, when I'm doing, uh, when I'm looking at starting pitchers, my top pitchers would probably be, you know, De, uh, probably Scherzer, DeGrom, um, followed by maybe Chris Sale. Although, you know, I've listened to some smart minds recently who have kind of, you know, raised some concerns there. I think on, a, I think on an inning-by-inning basis, Chris Sale is probably the best pitcher in baseball, but given the workload last year, some of the injuries, um, you know, and whether they were related to workload or not that he had last year, I think I may just end up passing um, uh, on him this year unless he, you know, falls maybe into the uh, second round. But he's been moving up a little bit, so I don't anticipate that necessarily happening. Uh, Right after that, you know, you're looking at Justin Verlander probably – and then after Verlander, I think I'd probably go Bauer or Cole. Um, I think both of those guys are high-volume uh, guys that will get you everything and are in good situations to get you wins, generally speaking, as they are with quality starts. So that's kind of how I'm looking at the pitching landscape. I'm higher on Bauer than I am on Kluber. Bauer was a better pitcher than Kluber before he got injured last year. Um, that's just, you know, something. Um, so that's kind of why I ended up going – uh, with Trevor Bauer earlier than I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people were surprised, you know, by that pick in addition to the Grom pick. But you know, that's that's just I think based on what my my reading of what that league format meant gave a lot more value to the type of players that both of those both of those guys um, are. And so after that, um, with my uh, third pick, uh, I was hoping that Anthony Rizzo was going to fall. Um, to me, that's the 34th pick in the draft was mine. Rizzo was my 23rd player from a player valuation standpoint. In OVP, he's super strong. 
Um, he has a high batting average, he has a high walk rate, and he also gets hit by, hit by a ton of pitches. So he he's runs uh, OBP around 380 uh, pretty consistently. And then a lot of what happened to him last year, I think, was related to uh, an early injury. And so I wasn't putting a ton of uh, – I wasn't – I'm not very concerned about last year. I think there may be a little bit of concerns about power. Uh, but, you know, for me, a guy who's going to have a 380 OBP – steal a handful of bases, you know, has the potential for 100 runs and RBI in a nice lineup, and I think we'll get 25 home runs, um, you know, as a, as a floor, uh, even if, you know, if he's healthy with the potential for over 30, you know, that is a very, very valuable player, and I think that's a really nice um, start to, uh, to my offense. And having taken two really high-volume guys from an innings pitch perspective, I felt pretty good about just chilling on pitching for quite a long time. You know, on second, in hindsight, you know, part of me wishes that I maybe would have dipped in. Um, Herman Marquez went really late in the draft. I think he went around pit, pick 110. I'm a fan of Marquez this year. I think that, that the, the, Coors, the Coors pitching is, is definitely an issue. I don't doubt that at all. But I don't think Coors has ever seen a pitcher – with the skills that Marquez showed in the second half of last year. I mean, he had an 18% swinging strike rate for half a season. That is insane. If he was a reliever, that would be an insane swinging strike rate. And he's got two pitches with the curveball and the slider uh, that were 20-plus percent swinging strike rates. You know, I don't think that the Rockies have ever had this talented of a pitcher or a pitcher who had put together the type of half that Herman Marquez did in the second half. So I feel pretty good about where he's going at ADP. I had kind of just put pitching out of my mind in a lot of ways because I wanted to get back some hitting after going one two on the on the um, on the pitching side, and so that was one thing that you know uh, where um, you know my pitching the back end I don't think I managed very well. I, I liked I liked my team a lot through 15 rounds. I liked my team a little bit less after 28, but that's that's an area for growth. Uh, so I got Rizzo, um, so I got a, a kind of OVP stud. You know, he's not going to harm me a lot in stolen bases. He's not going to help help me a ton, but he's going to help me in the other four categories. So kind of a 4.25, uh, you know, category guy, if you will. Um, after that, I was hoping that Joey Gallo would fall to me. In OVP leagues, Joey, Joey Gallo is incredibly valuable. From an OVP perspective, he's right around league average. He's going to get close to leading the league in league and home runs. He's going to get a ton of runs. He's going to get a ton of RBI. And he actually chips in some stolen bases as well. So however good you think Chris Davis is, um, you know, in, in an OBP league, uh, Joey Gallo is about that good, right? And he's better than Chris Davis is in an average league because Chris Davis is below league average, right? So that's the type of impact that going to OBP goes. And so he was, I think, the 32nd most valuable player in my valuations. I was hoping that he was going to fall to me. But as I suspected, um, uh, Sammy Reed uh, sniped me. This would be pick 51 at this point. Uh, Sammy picked him right before mine. Uh, I was super bummed out about it. And then my backup pick uh, that I was hoping was going to fall was, was Tommy Pham. I love Tommy Pham. Uh, I love him just in general, but I love him especially in an OBP league. That boosts his value for sure. 
Uh, batting in the middle of the Rays lineup, I think he's going to do really, really nice things. I think he's a threat for, you know, 25 20 with a 280 batting average, uh, 350, 360 plus OBP. That's super valuable. He went about four or five picks before uh, Gallo did um, uh, to uh, Kang, uh, Kang Do, uh, who is really, it's really funny. I'm in a 20 team dynasty league with uh, Kang, and we had talked about um, – we had been going back and forth about trade proposals, and we were, like, so in line with the players that we liked on each other's teams that we were like, ah, I don't think we can make this deal happen because, like, we both loved the same guys. It was, like, Matt Olson. It was Trey Turner. It was um, – uh, it was uh, – who else did I like on his team a lot? Uh, well, I can't remember. Anyways, we were very, very um, close on valuations, and so it was funny that he, he was also a guy who was – who ended up sniping me, or not sniping me, sniping the overrated, but, like, taking the guys that I that I had wanted. And so Tommy Pham, um, you know, was one of those guys. So uh, I, I was, this was kind of the first time where I was like, all right, you know, we're going to have to change plans um, here. You know, the first three picks haven't necessarily gone according to plan because I was hoping Verlander was going to fall to me, but that didn't end up working out. And so I had to make a little, a slight adjustment by going with Bauer, but he was on a list of guys that I, you know, that were kind of my backups. And Rizzo was the guy that I was targeting in the third round. And so in looking at the guys that were available, I ended up drafting Xander Bogarts. Now, if you've been following me on Twitter, you know that, uh, or if you've seen the couple tweets I put out, I guess, not just if you're following me on Twitter, I'm a huge fan of Xander Bogarts this year. From a skill perspective, last year was tremendous. There was tremendous skill. Like, he went through periods of time, if you look at his rolling average graph, especially in the second half, where he had walk rates, uh, he had a 360 OBP last year, one of the highest OBPs um, for shortstops. Um, he, you know, he had a walk rate second half. The rolling average was between 11 and 14 percent over 40 games in that second half. Like just really, really solid. Very high contact skills, hitting the ball hard, hitting the ball in the air more. I just think he's primed for a massive breakout, and I think he's valuable in both OBP and in batting average. And so. I pulled the trigger on Bogarts, and so I feel like, and, and I, one thing about Bogarts, too, he didn't steal a ton of bases last year, but he had an injured ankle, and so I think that's one of the reasons why he did that. With the Red Sox indicating that they're going to move Mookie Betts into the number three slot, that moves J.D. Martinez into the number four slot, and that, uh, you know, that potentially lines up, you know, uh, Xander Bogarts as the uh, number uh, five hitter with a ton of guys, with two guys in front of him with 400 uh, OBPs, uh, and Andrew Benintendi also in front of that. So in that scenario, um, you know, or even if they have Mookie batting number two and Benintendi number one, you know, you're looking at uh, just a really nice setup for him to potentially, you know, and this may be a bold prediction of mine, lead the league in RBI. So hold on to that uh, thought for a second. But I just really, really um, – I really, really love um, I love I love Bogarts uh, a lot. So I went with Bogarts there. I liked the base as it w- as it was um, you know kind of uh, developing. Um, in the next uh, draft pick, you know the one thing that I didn't have a ton of. I mentioned that I was I wasn't going to focus as much on stolen bases as I had in the past, but I also didn't want to fall too far. Uh, behind on stolen bases, and so with my with my next pick, um, which was 
I think pick 62, I want to say, something like that, yeah, pick 62, um, I ended up going with uh, Lorenzo Kane. Um, I Kane, I didn't realize this, but he is an OBP guy. He has a very high OBP. Um, you know, he had a 12% walk rate last year with the Brewers. He obviously steals a lot of bases. I had a decent, I had built up, you know, RBIs to a decent level so far with with Rizzo um, and Bogarts. I mean, runs as well. But you know, I wasn't worried about taking like a run heavy guy who may not get me a ton of RBI uh, like Kane did. And what I was also trying to do is in, in looking for balanced profiles is I like to have guys, and it's not like set in stone, but I like to have guys that I like every single player on my team to be projected to have double-digit home runs. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to draft a guy who has nine home runs because he doesn't have double digits, but as much as possible, I want to get guys who are not going to hurt me too much in different categories because one of the things I think is a lot of guys will focus on power early in drafts, you know, and which is, you know, that's perfectly fine, you know, but a lot of times uh, towards the end of drafts, they have to compensate for that by drafting rabbits, right? So if you load up on power early on in your draft and then you get your rabbits, well, the, you know, uh, Giancarlo Stanton's 45 home runs, when you add in the, the three home runs for Malik Smith, you know, now you're talking about an average of, you know, 23 home runs between those two, those two players. And the same as if you had drafted, you know, two guys with 23 home runs, you maybe stole a little bit more bases. And then the counting stats, you know, may even even out. And so, you know, I like to think about taking that type of a balanced approach um, with my guys. And so Lorenzo Cain checks all of those boxes. He's a high OBP guy, so I'm, so I'm starting with my high OBP foundation. He's getting me stolen bases. He was going to be kind of my stolen base, um, you know, uh, kind of stud. Um, and then, you know, he also is going to get me a ton of runs on that team. He should hit a decent number of home runs. And he's going to hurt me in RBIs, but I need, just need to know that and compensate for it. And I already have with some of my first um, draft picks. So, uh, you know, that was um, uh, one place. Um, after that, this was like a really big uh, decision uh, for me uh, as I was thinking was, okay, who – there's a real there's a really nice group of outfielders in OBP leagues in kind of the 60 to 100 range, which includes uh, Aaron Hick, a guy who in an OBP league gains a ton of value – uh, Andrew McCutcheon, you know, is another guy there. Uh, Michael Conforto is another guy who I think takes a really big leap uh, in OBP leagues. And so these were guys that I really liked because they all have balanced profiles. They're all five-category contributors in OBP leagues, except for Conforto. He's a four-category, but he contributes a little bit more in some of the other ones. And also Justin Upton in this place fell in the same category. And so – I was trying to think, I was debating between Justin Upton and Aaron Hicks about who I was going to draft with this, like, I think it's around the 70th pick of the draft. And I ended up going with Aaron Hicks. I'm not sure I made the right decision. Um, Hicks has more speed, I think, at this point in their careers than Upton does. I think that, you know, the plate discipline is more consistently strong from Hicks. You know, he's got, he's got one of the lowest O swings in the game. And I just love that. I mean, his walk rate is around 15%. So every time I watch him play and he doesn't, and he takes a walk, whereas in average leagues, I'm like, eh. Uh, you know, of course, he can, he can 
score a run or steal a base after that. But, um, you know, now I can kind of fully enjoy what Aaron Hicks has to bring. And he could bat leadoff. He could bat third, you know, in that in that lineup, depending on how they want to work out, work it. He could bat second. He's just a really underrated, I think, an awesome player. Obviously, he has had uh, injury, uh, an injury history in the past, and that's what kind of, you know, made me think about Upton in this spot. But when it came down to it, I think just the combination of the situation, uh, the more solid plate discipline, uh, the speed, and then the, the, the power and the, and the lineup really pushed me towards taking Aaron Hicks at that spot. I think it surprised some folks um, a little bit. You know, they maybe thought he would, he would fall a little bit later on, but I love my Aaron Hicks, and I had him last year, so maybe I'm a little bit biased because he got me a ton of value last year. I also thought about the guy that I drafted in the um, with the next pick uh, a lot about taking him earlier on because I really love his profile in OVP leagues as well, and I love his dual eligibility at second base and third base. So I drafted him with the 90th pick, and that is Travis Shaw. Now, Travis Shaw has probably the quietest 13% walk rate of any player. When you look at his O-swing, it was super low, especially in the second half. He battled through injuries last year, still hit 30 home runs. Uh, at least against right-handed pitchers, he is going to bat in the cleanup spot, um, and he just mashes uh, right-handers. Uh, he's going to get a ton of RBI uh, in that lineup. It's a great ballpark, uh, and with health, he hits a lot of fly balls. He's a guy who I thought was going to have a really strong second half last year. Uh, didn't necessarily have that, and I think a lot of that is due you know, to the injuries, but when you look at him over the course of the full season – he was great. Uh, he also steals, uh, he'll steal a handful of bags as well. So he's not helping me out tremendously there, but I knew that I already had, you know, 10 to 15 stolen bases from Hicks, 20 to 30 stolen bases um, from Kane, uh, 10 stolen bases from, uh, Bo- 10 to 15 from uh, Xander Bogart, and then, you know, five from Rizzo. So there's nobody who's given me a fat zero on stolen bases. So I felt okay going after Shaw here. Now, the other player that I was thinking of taking there, and the guy who was actually the highest in my uh, valuation um, of all of the outfielders that I mentioned, uh, Michael Conforto was a guy that I really wanted to pick um, as well. He actually went before Hicks. Um, I just think Conforto is going to have a massive year. Uh, The only concern for me is around batting average, and it's not a huge concern. I think he'll probably hit. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think 260, 270 uh, in that range. But he's a big walk guy, and so he's going to have an OBP of 350-plus, and I think he's going to hit 30 home runs. I think he's going to drive in close to 100 runs, you know, batting in the middle of a Mets lineup that's, that's, that's decent, especially a lot better than last year. And so, you know, I was looking at maybe him over Hicks. Um, he went before Hicks, so uh, the pick there was definitely um, Hicks. So then I got Shaw. I mentioned I, why I like Shaw so much. You know, and you'll notice every single guy that I'm mentioning is a guy who has a 10% or higher walk rate. That's really what I'm looking for in an OBP league is like, you know, there's guys who walking from year to year is a fairly consistent trait, and the O-swing is the clear skill that you can really look at in addition to looking at swing percentage and things like that. You know, when analyzing the likelihood that somebody's going to have strong plate discipline. And so I think that's huge in OVP leagues is, you know, really like, you know, just stack them up. Stack up those 10% plus uh, walk rate guys. And 
McCutcheon is a guy, again, who the only challenge that he's had in previous seasons, yes, the power hasn't necessarily been there, but he's also going to be playing in a, a hitter's park in one of the parks that lifts up righty power the most in the league in Philly. He's probably going to be batting towards the top of that lineup, maybe second, maybe third, depending on what happens the rest of the offseason. So I think his home run total maybe will be like 20 to 25, but he should have solid runs with his high OBP. He should have solid RBI unless he bats first. And then he's going to chip in 10 stolen bases or so. Again, another guy who kind of consistently with a very balanced profile where the only major concern he has in traditional 5x5 leagues is average, and the OVP um, helps to mitigate that a little bit. Um, so I went with Kutch there. Um, at this point in time, I was like, oh. Um, you know, and, and right there, I think I took uh, – I think Herman Marquez might have gone a, a few picks um, in front of um, – it was either in front of or behind uh, when I drafted McCutcheon. And so that was one of those situations where I was kind of like, oh, man, maybe I should have drafted a little bit more pitching. I'm, I'm very heavily reliant on these aces, but oh well. Uh, there was a run of closers that went at this point in the draft. It was a pretty late run in closers. One of the things to consider, too, about um, quality starts leagues is that closers actually lose value, too, because in a normal league, you know, they'll chip in three to four five, maybe even more wins a season, and that will help you in the wins department. There's no way that any, um, you know, that any any uh, player is going to um, get you, uh, you know, any closer is going to get you quality starts, right? No closer that you draft most likely is going to get you, you know, the six innings pitched at the beginning of the year. That's one thing I forgot to mention, too, about uh, quality starts that I was thinking about as well was... You know, um, you know, in quality starts leagues, the opener destroys quality starts, right? So anybody who pitches behind an opener loses value as well. So one of some of the metrics that I was looking at as I was drafting pitchers was third time through the order, right? Because you want guys that hopefully can at least go a little bit into the third time through the order if you're going to be throwing six innings. And so guys who struggle with that may not be the best in these types of situations. And I also found myself going through people's game logs and just looking, like, how many times did they reach, you know, the, the, the six, six full innings. Um, and so, you know, those were some of the things that the way that I think quality starts also impacts, you know, uh, the closer market in the league. And so folks fell, and I was really, really happy because one closer that fell uh, pretty much farther than I was expecting, I was surprised that he was still available, was Brad Hand. I was all ready to pick. Um, Sean Doolittle, who is the closer that I really, really like because, you know, he's got health issues, but when he pitches, he's going to get saves and he's going to give you elite ratios and elite strikeouts. Um, you know, but Brad Hand fell, and you just you got to love the situation in Cleveland. I think he is the closer. Uh, the, the Indians have shown that they'll go with a, a straight closer as they did with Cody Allen. Obviously, they played around with it towards the end of last year, but that was only after Cody Allen struggled uh, tremendously, and so Brad Hand as my closer at that point in time, you know, made me feel really, really good. And so at this point in the draft, nine rounds through, I've got three pitchers, I've got six hitters, I've got the two elite starting pitchers from my perspective. I've got the really strong, you know, closer one, relief pitcher one, and then I've got a really balanced, from my perspective, you know, uh, team that really gives me a lot of flexibility. I think down towards the end of the draft to be able to take a couple gambles here and there because, you know, I'm not relying on my OBP or my runs or my RBIs or my home runs or my stolen bases for necessarily one player 
in particular, I'm kind of trying to spread out that that risk a little bit. And so, um, in the uh, in the tenth round, um, I uh, I drafted Yohan Moncada. Uh, so I think this is pick. Uh, I want to say this is pick like 137 or something like that at this point in the draft. Again, I'm looking at at the back of a uh, of a paper plate where I've listed one from 28. Uh, for this podcast, that is the quality research that you are getting uh, when you listen to this podcast. Uh, but uh, so I, I drafted you on Makata again. He's another guy who, you know, in an average league, he's going to hurt you tremendously in average. But he has around a league average OBP right now, even with the terrible batting average. And so he he's neutral from an OBP perspective. You know, he probably brings me down. You know. Um, a little, he's going to bring me down a little bit in OBP probably unless, you know, there's some skill growth there, which I think is possible, but he's going to contribute, you know, runs, RBI, home runs, stolen bases, you know, 15-15 guy, uh, you know, depending on the growth, which I think is definitely possible. You know, towards the end of last year, he started swinging at more pitches in the zone, and his Z contact also started going up. He already has really strong plate discipline, and so one of the problems is he's, he's really passive. And that's why he strikes out so much is because he's, he's, you know, not swinging at pitches in the zone. He's getting a lot of called strikes. And so, um, you know, if that's something that he's trying to address, um, you know, right now, then I think that that is great. And I think that provides the opportunity, you know, for potentially some, some growth uh, in the OBP and average department, if not in, in other areas. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll see something good from Mankata. He's a guy that I wanted to own this year at least a little bit. I probably won't own him in batting average leagues, and so this was a good opportunity uh, to do that. But, again, he fits in with a lot of the other guys that I've drafted where he has a very solid balanced profile. He's not hurting you anywhere necessarily, but he's contributing, you know, at least a little bit in a lot of places. Now, maybe my – I don't know if it's a mistake or not. I love Yadier Molina. He was my next pick around pick 150. Um, as my catcher one, there was a run on catchers and there was a few guys who didn't have catchers yet. And Molina in my valuations, you know, he's not as valuable in an average league, but you know, he still was bringing value where I was drafting him in OBP league. His OBP though was, was, I think it's, the projections were at, at like 310 or something like that. I think it'll be higher because those are based off of a 270 batting average, but he doesn't walk a ton. Uh, but he is a guy who I think is going to hit close to 20 home runs if he's healthy. He's going to drive in 70 runs. He's going to score 50 runs. And he may chip in you know, a handful of stolen bases. And that's not nothing for catchers. But I do think, I do think you know, thinking back, um, I think Masahiro Tanaka was on the board still. I think he went to pick um, after, uh, after I picked Molina. I think Sammy uh, picked him you know, right after that. You know, he was a guy who fell, who I like. You know, ERA is sometimes an issue, but he's a really good what guy. He doesn't walk a ton of guys. He's on. Uh, he, he, he pitches, you know, around six innings to start, and then he gets you over a K per nine. So all of that is, you know, really, really nice. Um, he's more valuable in, in a wins league, I think, because of the Yankees bullpen. But he's also very solid and would have been a really good value pick um, right there. So uh, I didn't do that. I think that might have been a mistake because, Danny Jansen was still on the board, who's great in OBP leagues. Uh, Francisco Cervelli was still on the board, who's great in OBP leagues. 
And in the end, you know, you never know when they're going to go, but they didn't, didn't end up going until the low 200s, and so there was still a few rounds um, that I would have been able to wait and maybe grab a Danny Jansen, Francisco Cervelli with two picks, you know, in a row around pick 230, you know, versus uh, drafting Molina here and maybe adding a little bit of starting pitching because I do think that starting to pitching could be a little bit of an issue. One thing to consider, though, is while it is weekly fab, they're daily lineups. And so, you know, it's a situation where I can, you know, I can rotate, uh, I can have, I can stream a couple pitchers on the team each week who have maybe two good starts, maybe plan out a couple weeks in advance who's going to have, who should have two good starts um, and, and kind of have those guys roll in. So I'm not as concerned, but because of the format, but again, you know, something to, um, you know, one area where I think I'm a little, a a little weak. Um, After uh, Molina, my next pick, at pick, I think, 163 or so, um, was uh, Cesar Hernandez uh, to be my uh, middle infielder, because at this point I had Travis Shaw, who I had drafted to be my second baseman, uh, but I had moved him over to third because of the dual eligibility, drafting you on Mankata. And then Cesar Hernandez, another guy who's going to contribute across the board. Very similar, actually, to um, – well, not very similar, but fairly similar to um, – you know, like a, a, a Lorenzo Cain light and from an OBP perspective, at least, you know, hopefully he's going to bat at the top of that Phillies lineup, get 650 to 700 plate appearances like he's gotten in the previous years, you know, steal 15 bases, have an OBP around 350, score a ton of runs in that lineup, uh, you know, and so getting that, I pick 163 as my middle infielder. I felt really good about that. He's another guy who, you know, he's not going to hit, 20 home runs, but I think he'll hit uh, he'll hit double-digit home runs for sure. So I like the value a lot uh, right there. Another guy that I reached for, I drafted him, I think, around pick 170-something, uh, like late 170s, was uh, Joe Musgrove. I absolutely love Joe Musgrove. My only concern with Joe Musgrove is the injury and the surgery that he had because before that, towards the end of last year, the skills were off the charts. The pitches are off the charts. His changeup um, and his slider are both really, really good pitchers, uh, pitches. And so he's a guy who right now, you know, at his ADP, which is around 226, I think, 223, is just incredible value. I think he's going to be flying up draft boards as we get closer to draft just because I think the skills are awesome. Uh, he, is a, he doesn't walk anybody, so the whip should be pretty solid. And the batted ball quality is better than a lot of the guys that I have concerns with that go around pick 150, like Pavetta, you know, Bieber, Archer, you know, guys of that ilk. And so uh, I was really excited to uh, get Musgrove, maybe reached a little bit, but I did not want to give, um, you know, I did not want to wait 17 picks before my next pick and give an opportunity for me to lose out on a guy that was very clearly the starting pitcher of three that I wanted so at this point, I've got, you know, Bauer, I've got uh, DeGrom, I've got Musgrove. So I'm digging my pitching right there. Again, it would be nice if I had maybe one of those, uh, you know, maybe if I had passed up on like, a, you know, Travis Shaw, not knowing that I was going to be able to get Cesar Hernandez at second base or, you know, whatever. There are, there are ways that uh, different iterations where maybe I get Herman Marquez in that instance, and then I'm absolutely loving my pitching. Uh, you know, at this point, I'm just liking my pitching right now. Um, after drafting uh, Musgrove, uh, I uh, drafted Bowers. Uh, 
uh, was the guy that I um, uh, drafted next. I absolutely jo- love Jake Bowers. Again, he's another guy who, in a scenario where your OBP is instead of average, it really it mitigates the major concern that a player has. And Bowers, I, I have professed my love for Bowers for a while now, ever since you know the middle of last year or so. He's got a borderline, I mean, he's got a very good O swing of around 24%. He's going to walk. He's shown speed. He's shown a decent amount of power. And and in addition to that, like the fly ball rate was going up towards the end of last year. He also had a really high hard hit fly ball rate and also a really high. So uh, my audio cut out there. I was talking about Jake Bowers. So I'm going to start off where it cut out. So Jake Bowers, he's a guy who was hitting the ball in the air. He was hitting the ball hard. He was hitting the ball hard in the air. He was hitting the ball. He was pulling a ton of his hard-hit fly balls. Now, there's not that strong of a – there's not a strong year-to-year correlation for hard-hit pulled fly balls, so it's just something to consider. But progressive field is the ideal location to do that um, for lefty power. We've seen what Lindor and Jose Ramirez have done in terms of pulling hard-hit uh, fly balls um, and what that's done for guys that weren't considered to have a ton of power and so I'm hoping that Bowers will learn a little bit from them and that he might even get more power but he's got you know 15 stolen base uh, type of you know uh, of, of potential and so we're talking about a guy who could go 20 to 2015 I think he's he's scheduled for a 14-12 but I think he's going to get a ton of playing time the Cleveland offense is bad or not the, not the Cleveland offense, but the Cleveland outfield is bad. And I think he's going to be an everyday player there. Um, whether or not they'll platoon him, I don't think so, at least initially. We don't have a large sample size uh, with him. His major issue is contact, but again, you know, and, and batting average. But again, the OBP helps to mitigate that. And so I think that was, um, that was something that was really, uh, really nice. He was a guy that I really, really wanted to get. He's also got dual eligibility at first base and outfield. And so that was really nice because I could slot him in in my corner infielder uh, now that I had Shaw at third base and then I had, at first base, I had uh, Anthony Rizzo. And so that was really nice. And again, you know, another guy with a balanced profile. I can't remember at the the end of the draft how many guys I had, but I think I have nine guys who have double-digit speed. And so that, for me, is is really nice because it, it, it gives me some insurance from a stolen base perspective. Um, and if one guy goes down, I know that I have other guys who you, who can at least, you know, carry some of the burden um, together. Uh, two guys that in an OBP league I'm going to be after all the time are Bowers and Kepler. And so before the draft, I had down Musgrove uh, first, Bowers, and then Kepler as guys that I, that I wanted to have. These were the three guys that I was willing to bump up uh, a round or two to make sure that I got, and that's because my valuation was telling me that even bumping them up, you know, into the low 200s, late 100s, they were still providing me value um, in the uh, in the format that I was playing in, and, and they were also providing me with both balance and value, and that is uh, something that really is is hard to beat. Uh, Kepler um, is a guy who I love. You know, he is a launch angle change, a lowered launch angle change away from being a real stud. 
you know, last year batting average was his issue. He had a really low BABIP because he hit a ton of pop-ups. I think 25% of his balls in play were pop-ups, which is like 7% worse than league average. If, if you remember, pop-ups are hits like 1% of the time, and so they're essentially automatic outs. And so that is a huge number to be 7% better. That's 70 points, you know, potentially a batting average. And so if you can get it down, he's a guy who hit, you know, he hit more than 20 home runs already. He's got 70 runs, 70 RBI. He's not slow. You know, he'll, he'll add in five stolen bases. And in an OBP league last year, he showed tremendous uh, growth in both his plate discipline and contact. He's one of the very few, you know, kind of low 20%. O swing above 90% uh, in zone contact rate guys that I absolutely love. And so in an OBP league, I am all over him um, all the time. So that's where I got Kepler. So I'm hoping that, you know, Kepler, you know, he's, he's, he's Germany. He came over from Europe. He has been playing the game for, for not as long as other guys have. And so the fact that he was able to make a major positive adjustment last year in his plate discipline and his contact skills gives me hope that he'll also be able to make that adjustment in terms of lowering his launch angle a little bit. He's also very good defensively, and so I think he's going to get everyday uh, playing time. Uh, my next pick uh, around uh, draft pick 230 was Francisco Cervelli. Cervelli in OBP leagues has even more value than in average leagues. Um, he walks a decent amount. His batted ball quality uh, last year before his injury was really, really nice. I have him, the projections have him as the eighth best catcher in an OBP format. So I was excited to have um, uh, the number five and number eight uh, valued catchers at, at picks 150 and 230. And I wanted to stay away from some of the later, um, you know, later guys that went. Uh, Bubba, uh, who, uh, Bubba, uh, uh, I can't, don't know how to pronounce his last name, but uh, Bubba from Bench with Bubba, uh, he picked up Danny Jansen uh, right before uh, I, w- I got Cervelli. I really love Jansen. I love that pick, um, you know, and and, uh, and so I wanted to make sure that I get I got Cervelli because I was hoping to have my catcher to be either Jansen um, or uh, Cervelli in that situation. The next pick, I went a little bit off script um, because I, I didn't get a guy with a balanced profile or a good OBP. Uh, I got uh, Randall Grichuk, and the reason why I got Grichuk is because of all the categories, as we were going along, I was kind of watching how I was doing in categories from a percent perspective, so I think I ended in, in, in uh, the 90th percentile in four of the five categories on offense in terms of what I what I needed to get uh, 15, uh, 14 points in the league, so essentially to win the category. So I was feeling pretty good about where I was, but I needed more home runs. And Grichuk is a guy who even the projections have him uh, as a 29 home run guy uh, and providing value, even with the 286 OBP. I think he's going to get a lot of RBI. He's going to bat in the middle of the Blue Jays lineup. He's a good defender, so he's going to get plate appearances. He's going to hit home runs. Um, and, and, you know, he had some improvement in his in-zone contact second half last year. You know, he still is, is super aggressive, and so I don't think he's going to have a, a nice OBP, but if he can get it north of 300, you know, I've got a, I've got some other players in terms of outfielders that I can sub in for him if I'm not feeling the matchup, maybe when he goes up against the Yankees or the Red Sox or something like that. Um, but, you know, I felt like there was I was leaving a little bit too much value on the table if I were to pass him up, you know, at that position. 
you know, as you guys are probably, or you're probably not thinking this, but at this point I was like, man, I really got to need to, need to take some more pitchers because I only got three of them. You know, I was going heavy, heavy batting. And at this point in the draft, there was a guy um, who, uh, who was, uh, he, he had a software that was calculating based on, you know, that system's projections where uh, where you were, where different teams were in the standings. And I was in first or second in uh, four of the five hitting categories, and I think I was fifth in OVP. So I was feeling pretty good about hitting, and so I knew that I needed to go uh, pretty heavy pitching down the stretch. I really liked the group of pitchers in the 250 range. Um, and at this point, I was looking at uh, drafting either Reynaldo Lopez uh, or Steven Matt. I went with Lopez uh, at this pick. I love what Lopez did in September uh, of last year. Obviously, September can be a little bit fluky. But what I liked about um, what he did is that his changeup uh, got a lot better. And even the ex- he, he, had a, he had a really low expected WOBA that month, but it was supported by you know, the batted ball quality that he was given up. He throws the ball really hard. He's one of the hardest throwers in the league. And his changeup was really, really nice um, in September and August uh, with, a, with a 15% plus uh, swinging strike rate. Uh, and, and so I like that a lot, uh, along with his, uh, I believe it's a slider is his other pitch, uh, also had around a 15% swinging strike rate. Uh, that month his four seam uh, was going up in terms of its swinging strike rate. And so, you know, the, I just like that, that package uh, because – it's context neutral. It doesn't rely on the White Sox winning a lot of games. And also, you know, when you look at his game log, he's a guy who uh, isn't a throw. He's got the frame to throw a lot of pitches. And so, you know, whereas uh, Matt, you know, really kind of struggled to hit the six-inning uh, mark uh, last year. So that's why I went uh, with, um, with Reynaldo Lopez in that instance. Uh, next up, uh, I also went for another hitter. I, I – Skipped on pitching uh, again. Uh, I just didn't see, like, a huge value difference at this point in the draft between guys, and so I felt okay. And I grabbed uh, Steven Souza, who is a guy, again, whose major concern, he's currently penciled in by roster resource as the cleanup hitter for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, He's a guy who the major concern with him is average. You know, he's around 230 to 250, generally speaking, but he also is a big OVP guy. He's above 10%. Walk rate. It was 13% in 2017 when he was healthy, and he started to show really elite O swings again towards the end of last year. His hard hit rate was higher, was the highest it's been last year, and his fly ball rate was also um, going up, uh, which is what I love to see. I love to see the O swing, the hard hit rate, and the fly ball rate um, all uh, going up. And you know he was he's one one season removed from a 30-16 season from a home run and stolen base perspective. So I really like where he was going. I drafted him in 500 plate appearances. The projection systems have him at 19 home runs and 10 stolen bases, uh, which is, you know, that is that's really nice, um, you know, for a guy that you're drafting, you know, in the late uh, in the late 200s uh, when OBP is, you know, kind of his his strong suit. So I was feeling really good um, uh, there as well. Um, so then I got back into full on uh, pitching mode, uh, so I went with um, I went with Stephen Matz. He was still on the board at this point in the draft. Matz, uh, the end of last season did not look 
great uh, from just like an outcomes perspective, but the skills uh, were all improving considerably, and uh, which is really, really nice. And, uh, you know, and just it looked really good. Uh, I like uh, him a lot. He's been successful in the past. I worry a little bit that he throws his sinker, you know, uh, way too much or more than I'd like him to. Uh, but he actually has a decent swinging strike rate on his sinker. Uh, it's just that, you know, it gets hit pretty good like, you know, most uh, sinkers do. Uh, but, you know, his uh, he's a guy who's, who's had a mid-threes ERA and a low whip before. Um, and I think he was getting to that point, at least from a skills perspective, towards the end of last year. And so I'm hopeful that that will, um, that that will happen uh, again. Um, after... Uh, that I am having trouble uh, reading uh, my handwriting here as I uh, try to drive. Um, well, um, oh, Mullins is who I got. Okay, I drafted Cedric Mullins here. This is another one where I just kind of like like the player in the format a little bit too much to um, uh, to. Uh, to pass on him, Mullins is another guy who has displayed. Last year, he had a 22.2% uh, O swing um, and a 90-plus percent in-zone contact rate. And those are things that I love. And I think he's projected for, ni- uh, for 19 home runs and 16 stolen bases next year. And, uh, you know, with 600-plus plate appearances. And plate appearances are one of, if not the most important stat that you can think about. And so I went I went after him as well. He will be in a reserve, or I can swap him with uh, Souza and other guys based on, um, based on matchups. So Mullins is a guy that I like going late, especially in OBP. Again, he's another guy where batting average, you know, was kind of the concern at least last year. And the OBP format um, helps, to, uh, helps to mitigate uh, some of that concern. And so... Um, that is, um, you know, that, that was, uh, really, um, you know, that's kind of why I, I diverted a little bit from the starting pitcher script in addition to the fact that, you know, there wasn't a huge, uh, a huge difference. Um, well, I, I deviated again from the start from the, from the pitching, uh, script, uh, cause I didn't like the starting pitchers that were going in this area. I drafted in the low 300, I da- drafted Adam Frazier who is a guy that I really, really like um, this year, especially in batting average leagues. He's not as valuable in OBP, but he's going to probably play full-time. He's going to bat at the top of the lineup, first or second for the Pirates, makes a lot of contact. The batting average should be pretty high. He actually added some power in the second half of last year. His hard hit rate surged. His O-swing was solid. Um, his uh, fly ball rate uh, surged as well. He also chips in some stolen bases, and he's got multi-position uh, eligibility at second and outfield. So that's why I went um, with him um, uh, at that point uh, in uh, in the draft. Um, after that, I drafted Matt Barnes. Uh, I only had one closer, Brad Hand, at this point in the draft, and so I went with Matt Barnes because I wanted to draft Barnes and I felt pretty confident uh, that uh, that Ryan Brazier, who I actually think is going to get the uh, who I actually think is going to get the job, uh, I was I felt confident that uh, Ryan Brazier was going to be available very late, 
uh, in the draft. And so um, I went with uh, Ryan, uh, or I went with uh, Matt Barnes here because I wanted to consolidate the current Red Sox uh, star, uh, relief pitchers um, that I think will get a shot at closing. I think it'll be either Barnes or Brazier as long as Kimbrell uh, doesn't um, resign with the Red Sox, and so that is obviously a coveted position and a place where you can get a tremendous amount of value, and so I drafted both of them. I'll hold on to them, and based on what happens in spring training or early on the season, I'll probably cut the guy that doesn't have the job if they're at least, if they're going with a solid closer, or maybe hold on to both uh, if they're going uh, by committee. Um, So that was kind of my approach to my uh, second closer uh, position, which, you know, again, I was hoping maybe to get somebody uh, who maybe had more, a little bit more of a lock on the job, uh, but, you know, uh, building the solid offense that I was able to build, you know, I think that was more of the priority uh, for me um, uh, for uh, for this year, or for uh, for that, uh, uh, for, for this draft. Um, sorry, I'm just parking right now in front of my house. Um, that's why I'm, I'm stopping a little bit. Um, so, there was uh, so Barnes in that situation. I think him and Brazier can get you a lot of value as just the guys that you draft um, late uh, for, uh, for for saves, and then hope that one of the two guys uh, ends up getting uh, getting the the role. After that, I went with Mike Miner. Uh- Mike Miner is another guy that I've uh, tweeted about. He's got a lot of intriguing parts of his profile uh, that make me very interested heading into this year. He actually has the second highest uh, spin rate on his four-seam fastball behind Justin Verlander among all starting pitchers with a reasonable sized uh, sample size of four-seam fastballs. But he doesn't throw it uh, high in the zone. He he tends to throw it lower uh, in the zone, uh, I believe. And towards the end of last year, he was throwing a little higher in the zone. And I I like to see that with the high spin rate uh, fastball. Uh, Miner does give up a ton of fly balls, and while that can be a concern if you have a high home run to fly ball rate, his was right around league average, and that just means that the that the BABIP uh, of opposing batters is going to be lower because they're hitting more fly balls, which go for uh, fewer uh, fewer uh, base hits. Uh, so, uh, you know that's that's not uh, anything terrible. He also has a really nice changeup. Uh, his changeup has a real nice whiff rate. It got above 20% for the last couple months of the year, uh, last year. And so he's got, you know, that four seam fastball. He can throw that maybe a little higher in the zone, uh, couple that with the changeup, uh, you know, lower in the zone. He also has a, uh, a curveball, um, and I believe a slider, but it, the slider gets a really low swinging strike rate. Um, so hopefully maybe he can, he can do a work a little bit on sequencing, seeing there since he has some, you know, kind of, uh, aspects to his profile that are, that are really nice. I love the change up, especially, you know, with some of the improvements as he elevated the, the four seam fastball, maybe it, um, you know, helped uh, sequence better with that, with that change up. And, and, you know, that, that is really nice. His velocity also went up towards the end of last year it was up at 94. You'll remember he was in the bullpen in 2017 and then made the move back to starting pitcher. His velocity was, you know, a little bit lower around 93, 92 earlier in the season, but up to 94 towards the end of the year, which similar to, to Matt's, as I mentioned, I think is really, um, you know, that's, that's, that's really nice. And it's intriguing enough. I don't love the situation, you know, with the Rangers, obviously, uh, but minor was, was solid last year. And so hopefully 
you know, there can be some uh, improvement in that respect. The next guy that I chose uh, with my uh, 25th pick um, is somebody I haven't mentioned much uh, on Twitter, if at all, and that's Matt Harvey. I am very intrigued by the end of Matt Harvey's season, not just the last month, but over the last uh, 10 games, uh, the skills really improved. His swinging strike rate was went to a better than league average at 11.1%. His O swing was up. His Z contact was down. Um, everything was headed in the right direction. But what was the most intriguing part about Harvey's uh, end of the season was his curveball. Uh, during his heyday, his curveball was elite. It got a really strong swinging strike rate, you know, around 15%. Um, and I believe it's around 15%. I don't have the numbers in front of me because I'm still in my car. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and in August and September of this past year, it was the first time that that curveball really seemed to be working for him. Um, and so if he can, it's small sample sizes. I think it's like 40 to 50 pitches uh, per uh, in each month because he doesn't throw that pitch that often. But it looked, uh, it looked, it looks based on the skills that, you know, it was a really nice pitch for him. And so the Angels are a team, you know, him moving there, they are a team that is moving more and more in the advanced analytics direction. They hired a bunch of driveline guys, at least on the hitting side, I think also on the pitching side. And so I'm hoping that, you know, they can work with uh, Harvey to maximize, you know, his pitches. Um, you know, his velocity in the four-seam fastball was also, um, you know, improving towards the end of last year. And so, you know, he's worth a flyer this late in drafts, and he's going super late. He's got the pedigree, obviously. He's done it before, and so I'm just hoping that, you know, to catch catch lightning in a bottle here with some of these late late round picks because, you know, if they don't work out, then I just drop them and I stream, you know, some guys or look for guys who are heating up towards the end of, you know, or at the beginning of the season who are showing some nice skills who maybe are under the radar. But really intrigued by Matt Harvey. I think he's a guy that I'm going to own in a lot of places um, heading into the season. Uh, I like him uh, a lot. Uh, next up, I finished off the coupling uh, with Matt Barnes of Ryan Brazier. Uh, I got him. I was thinking about waiting till the 28th round to get him, but then I was just thinking, man, if I don't get him, you know, what a waste of a pick in Matt Barnes because I do think that Brazier will end up getting uh, the closer job. He pitched really well last year in the postseason. Uh, Barnes actually only has one pitch uh, that had a WRC plus under 100 last year. That was his slider. It was a 26, and he did have really, really nice skills. Uh, but he also has another year of arbitration eligibility. And so Brazier is like a 31-year-old rookie. And so I think, um, you know, I think from a from a financial standpoint, you know, at least not to mention maybe a better better pitcher standpoint, I think Brazier will end up getting the job. Uh, but having Barnes and Brazier if one of those guys can come away out of spring training uh, with the job, uh, with the job clearly, then that's going to be a huge value pick for me getting them, you know, around, you know, in pick 300 to 400 uh, in the draft. So uh, we'll see how that ends up. I kind of went off script towards the end of the draft. You know, this sometimes happens where you're just kind of like, ah, it might be interesting to get these different players. I drafted Keston Hira, the uh, second base prospect for the Brewers. He's supposed to be a very, very good hitter. Um, this, the Brewers currently have Corey Spangenberg as their second baseman. So there is the potential for an opening there, uh, for Hira, uh, maybe as early as May. And so it's just a situation where I'll monitor in spring training and hear what they're saying uh, about when he might, uh, play. And then, um, 
you know, I will, um, you know, you know, maybe just drop him to the waiver wire uh, if if it doesn't look like he's going to come up in May. Um, but you know, uh, depending on how the team lines up, depending on how my pitching is lining up, you know, we'll we'll see what happens with Hira. But I thought felt like he was worth, you know, maybe taking a little bit of a gamble going this late. And then my last pick, who will probably be my last pick in a lot of drafts, was who Jose Ureña. Uh, Jose Ureña, towards the end of last year, the skills started to improve. He's got a nice fastball. It's one of the faster fastballs, um, and velocity is obviously uh, very, very helpful. Uh, He was able to manage contact last year, and then his slider is only okay, but he started started both on the four-seam and the slider towards the end of last year to uh, the the swinging strike rate started to increase on it. He started to creep towards uh, league average. And so, um, you know, the Marlins obviously aren't a great team context, but because it's quality starts, He'll throw a decent amount of innings. The strikeouts will probably be lower, um, but you know they could be they could go up a little bit if he maintains the skills that he showed towards the end of last year. I do have some uh, concerns with the control, uh, but I felt like you know the vo- the velocity with the fastball, what he did towards the end of last year, and where he's going in drafts is worth um, you know was worth kind of the flyer just to see how he starts off. And he's also pitching in uh, you know the Miami Marlins. Uh, stadium, and that's one of the best uh, pitching parks in baseball, if not, you know, the best pitching park in baseball. It probably is the best pitching park in baseball. And so, uh, you know, he's a guy. Uh, he throws a sinker too a lot. Um, I think if he went more with the four seam fastball, uh, that might help him out in the strikeout um, department. Uh, so we we shall see. We'll see what happens there. But again, with you know these pitchers going towards the end, none of them are going to be sure things, obviously. So that. That wraps it up. It, it was uh, there's only five man bench, so it's only twenty round, uh, twenty eight round draft, not like a thirty round draft. Uh, but you know, I feel pretty good about my team from a hitting perspective. I feel really solid. It is a trading league, and so maybe I can, uh, if if some of my pitchers don't work out that I took, you know, flyers on. You know, if if Lopez, Mats, you know, Minor, Harvey don't turn into the you know, fourth, fifth, and sixth starters that I was hoping for them to turn into. Maybe I can turn some of my uh, additional hitting um, into uh, pitching or or, an, or another closer, something like that. You know, when all was said and done, when I take a look at, you know, the team and um, I take a look at uh, where I was in the different categories, I was 91% to, to the uh, you know, to the number one spot in runs, 86% in home runs, 91% uh, in RBI, and 88%, you know, in stolen bases. So I feel pretty good about the base uh, that I've uh, I've set for my team um, from an offensive perspective. Uh, I obviously like the start of you know, and 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 especially after I was able to get those the top, you know, those top two starters in in Jacob Degrom and. And Trevor Bauer, I feel I feel good about being able to come away from the draft with a really solid hitting. I've got those anchors to my pitching staff. I love Joe Musgrove. I think Brad Hand is a really solid closer as far as closers go. Um, and so I feel okay about the top end of my pitching. You know, some of the guys that I took flyers on are going to need to work out for me to be successful. But again, since it's a daily league and it's quality starts, and I can do some streaming uh, of guys, you know, I can play a lot of matchups. Um, and I can play a lot of two-start starters with good matchups, and hopefully I'll be able to compensate um, for some of the lack of pitching depth 
uh, with you know some of those types of strategic things. There's always pitchers that come out of the woodwork, and I will be scouring the waiver wire. I will be, you know, analyzing you know uh, every single start for starting with the first week of the season for you know trends in terms of skills, swinging strike rates, pitch, pitch mix, pitches that people are using, things of that nature to try to you know identify pitchers who who maybe he's taking a leap forward this year. So that uh, wraps up uh, my, uh, my, my draft and my Barflevic experience. It was awesome. I mean, I have not done a live draft before. It was so much fun to like everybody was making their picks and then you chat about your picks with folks um, and just talk about the different pl- players and what you felt about them. The guys were really nice, uh, super welcoming to you know me as somebody who was new to the league. Uh, getting a chance to put uh, faces and, and meet people in person, you know, like Justin, uh, like Bubba, like uh, Sammy, um, like uh, uh, Kang, who I have another another league with, and just like everybody, it was just it was really great uh, to talk baseball with them and to be there for the draft. Uh, so you know, a shout out to to Justin for inviting me and to everybody for being so welcoming. Um, I will uh, I will do my best to uh, to to win the league uh, and try to. Um, you know, make you regret inviting me to the league, but uh, it's going to be a tough one. And so I I highly doubt uh, that that will end up coming to fruition. That is going to wrap us up for episode 58 of the Batflip Crazy podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that uh, recap of my draft picks was helpful from both a strategic perspective and thinking about what I was thinking about as I Uh, did that you know and maybe some of the tools that i talked about uh, using hopefully those are helpful to you and hopefully at a minimum uh, the player analysis and kind of what i was thinking about with each one of the draft picks what i like or dislike about uh, certain player profiles the obp aspect the quality start aspect was at least somewhat uh, interesting and that the audio quality wasn't terrible again a huge thank you um you know to justin mason to everybody in the barf league for allowing me to participate i'm really excited to participate uh it's going to be a ton of fun uh this is just the start and i'm looking forward to um competing with all of the great uh fantasy baseball players who are a part of that league uh again you know i'm going to be hopefully starting some positional previews this week uh, once i get settled uh in the new uh the new city the new house the new job all of that new stuff Um, If you do like what you're hearing, please do leave a five-star rating and review. Uh, Really do appreciate that. Uh, Most of all, I just appreciate all of you for listening um, and giving me the the opportunity to uh, provide this type of uh, analysis and listening and, you know, engaging and and being a part of uh, my fantasy baseball community. So thank you so much for that. Uh, Best of luck with all of your fantasy baseball research. Take care and be kind to one another.